Well, good morning, church, and good morning, Joel. Thanks for uh, hosting this morning to the team here that is uh, producing uh, this morning's worship service. It's great to be able to have this time together. And I don't know if you actually looked at the calendar to see uh, what this date is, but it is actually Sunday number 52, week number 52 since the uh, restrictions and lockdowns began. That was on March 15th, Sunday, March 15th, 2020. So it's hard to believe in a lot of ways that we've been through a whole year of lockdown and restrictions. And of course, this week, uh, we're in uh, full lockdown again. So we're grateful uh, to be able to be here together. And I was just reminded as I was thinking about the fact that it's week 52, that um, you know, uh, that verse in, in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us uh, run with endurance the race that is set before us, and this is certainly an endurance race. All right, Joel said that we're in the book of Romans, and not only are we continuing our series in the book of Romans, but we're ending it here today uh, in chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, you should, uh, whether electronic or paper Bible, get that open to Romans 8. We're going to be beginning at verse 31 in just a moment. But I want to talk about uh, confusion and uh, forgetfulness. Confusion and forgetfulness, these are the twin problems that plague uh, a lot of students And any teacher will tell you that. There's a lot of confused and forgetful students in every classroom. And... um But it's also something that um, is a problem for older adults and... um And I'll just include myself in that because it happens to me already. I'm often confused and frequently forget things. Um, But it's not just the kind of thing that afflicts students and older adults. I think we can all be susceptible to confusion and forgetfulness along the way. Often, because of a lack of effort on our part to understand and to remember Now, the Apostle Paul has written this letter of Romans. It really is, in a lot of ways, a literary masterpiece that explains the gospel. And we've spent 16 weeks surveying the themes in the first eight chapters. But the question we need to ask at this point as we come to message 16 in the end of the series, have we made progress in truly grasping the power of the gospel in our own lives? Not just to see us converted or saved, but living out the gospel, seeing it change us day by day to sanctify us. So the gospel saves, the gospel also sanctifies, and we should see all of that happening in our lives. There should be no confusion about the gospel at this point. We should not forget what the gospel has done and is doing in our lives. We should not forget that the gospel we preach, in fact, is not simply a message. In fact, James Ahi said this, our religion is not Christianity so much as Christ. Our gospel is the knowledge, not of a system, but the saving knowledge of a personal Savior. That is to say that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the gospel. And we have been studying Him as we've studied the gospel. Again, it's not so much that the gospel is a message as much as it is a man, a Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel, this is the title of today's message, the gospel is Christ. 
And we need this gospel. The world around us needs this gospel. Those in your life, those who are are searching for something outside of themselves, who are searching for purpose, searching for meaning, meaning they need this gospel. People that you know, perhaps people who are watching right now who are at the end of their rope need this gospel. People whose lives are a mess, people whose lives are absolute train wrecks need this gospel. We need to hear of Christ. And so let's uh, turn our attention to the Scriptures. This is Romans 8, 31 through to the end of the chapter, verse 39. I'll read this, I'll pray for us, and then we're going to look at this idea of Christ being the gospel Himself. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, as we um, have read this incredible passage of Scripture, what What we need more than anything else is for you to speak to us right now. And what's awesome about who you are is, God, that you know every person who's watching right now. You're already in every place where the church has gathered. Father, you know every need. You know what's going on in every heart. You know those who are yours and those who are not yours yet. You know every struggle, every heartache. You know every objection, every doubt. Father, you know all the fears we have. You know the struggles. And your Holy Spirit can work in this this time right here as we look at your word. God, I pray that you would do something awesome and miraculous and something that's well beyond anything we could ever do for ourselves. That you would save and you would sanctify today. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. In your notes, this is what you're going to hear, and we heard it in that incredible passage we just read. It's undeniable. It's undeniable. The gospel is Christ Himself. Now, check this out. All facets of the gospel, see this in your notes, all facets of the gospel center on on Him. 
Now, if you'll remember all the way back to the beginning of this series, when we started this in the fall, I showed you this diamond. This diamond is huge. You can see that. You never put that into a ring. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is valued at $55 million U.S. I got it for $12.95 on Amazon with one-day free shipping. So that was awesome. And when you look at this diamond, all the different facets of the diamond, depending on how it's turned in the light, you can see all the different colors and all the different ways the color is reflected through it. The diamond, the diamond is the gospel. And we've been looking at different facets of this gospel, trying to understand it better and to appreciate its beauty and impact in our lives. This is what we've seen in the, in the book of Romans, all these different ways of seeing and relating to the gospel, all the different aspects of the gospel in our lives. And Paul asked this question with everything he said up to this point. He asked this rhetorical question. In fact, this whole section you could see is a series of rhetorical questions that he's asking. What then shall we say to these things? Now, ask yourself the question. A great way to study the Bible is ask questions of the Bible. And, and we should ask the question, what things? What then shall we say to these things? What things? Well, this passage in Romans 8 actually ends a section of Romans. In fact, we could argue that the first four chapters are a section, the second four chapters are a section, then 9 through 11 is a section, then 12, kind of moving on toward the end is a section. Romans 8 ends a section of the letter, and Paul, by saying these things, he's saying the entire letter, everything I've written to you up to this point, that's what I want you to see, all these facets of the gospel that I've been laboring to explain to you, my readers. And in this series, as we looked at this over 16 messages, we broke it down this way. We said the gospel is, we don't want to, be, we don't want to forget these things, we don't want to be confused about these things. The gospel is power. The gospel is truth. It's wrath. The gospel is resisted. The gospel is substitution, Christ's life for ours. The gospel is faith. It can only be received by faith. The gospel is peace. The gospel is grace. The gospel is freedom. The gospel is righteousness. It's not just getting saved. It's living a righteous life. The gospel is life. It's, it's struggle. The gospel is spirit. The gospel is adoption. The gospel last week we saw is hope. And now the center of it all, the gospel is Christ Himself. None of these facets could ever be removed without destroying the diamond. Nothing can be added to it in any way. Everything we've looked at centers on Jesus Christ, and Paul's question compels us to ask, what are we going to do with these things? How is this going to inform now how I live every day of my life? And as much as the gospel is centered on Christ our lives must be centered on the Christ of the Gospels. Would you describe yourself as a Gospel-centered believer? Because you should. In fact, you must. And as you're considering that question, is my life centered on the Christ of the Gospel? 
As you're considering that, notice also, see this secondly, all challengers to the gospel fall before Him. He continues on in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God, for example, if we go back to some verses we looked at in the last message, verses uh, 29 and 30, if God foreknew me, if God predestined me, if God called me, if God justified me, if God is going to glorify me, if all of that is true, if God is for us in what we called last week that unbreakable chain of salvation then no one or nothing will be able to stand against us. That's the confidence that we have. Now listen, it isn't that we have no enemies. In fact, we have many that would seek to take us out, to make us forget, to cause confusion about the gospel. This opposition, Martin Luther argues, this opposition to the gospel is absolutely necessary. Luther said this, if the devil were wise enough and would stand by in silence and let the gospel be preached, he would suffer less harm. For when there is no battle for the gospel, it rusts and it finds no cause and no occasion to show its vigor and power. Therefore, nothing better can befall the gospel than that the world should fight it with force and cunning. I mean, see, that just makes sense to me as, as I look at it, that, that the challenge to our faith keeps us sharp, it keeps us in the game, it keeps us alert. In fact, in history, time and time again, it's proven that countries, when they go to war, they bring all of their production to bear on waging warfare. They're on high alert. They make the best weapons and they go to war because the opposition has come against them. The enemy is at the gate. But when countries experience peacetime, they let their guard down, they become soft. And they fail to prepare because of complacency. So who or what am I fighting? We have this opposition, these challengers that come against us, um, come against the gospel in our lives. So who or what am I fighting? Well, first of all, I'm going to give you the three enemies, or we've talked about it before in terms of the three fronts on, uh, in this spiritual warfare that we fight. First of all, my own flesh. My own flesh betrays me. My own flesh wars against me. Your flesh wars against you. And in fact, if you remember just a few messages back to Romans chapter 7, and the Apostle Paul's just being so honest with his own battle over sin, even while he's writing about these grand themes of the gospel and sanctification and how God has saved us and how He's justified us, the work that God is doing in our lives, even the call to holiness. And Paul's just laying bare his own life and letting us know what a struggle it is for him. He says in Romans 7, 14, I am of the flesh. Verse 24, he just cries out in chapter 70, wretched man that I am. How many times I've prayed that prayer? How many times have you prayed that prayer? 
just so weary of yourself, so weary of your own flesh. That's where a lot of the opposition comes from. But secondly, the opposition also comes from the devil and his demons themselves. We are engaged in spiritual warfare, and the apostle Peter uh, tells us, and this is in 1 Peter 5, uh, 8, he says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. You are the one the devil wants to devour. We need to be so aware. And just over in Romans 16, 20, uh, Paul says this with uh, such resolve, the God, that God's peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God's peace will soon crush Satan under your feet and mine. But for now, he's opposing us. He's opposing the gospel. So we have my own flesh, the devil and his demons, and then thirdly, the world, the world system. This world wages war against us. And later, we're gonna, we, we would read, if we continued on in our study of Romans, Romans 12, 2, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, why would Paul say that unless being conformed to this world is a bad thing? And it is. He knows that the world is also against us, against us being sanctified, against us growing in our love for Jesus Christ, our knowledge of the gospel. And so, so listen, so it is not it's not that we don't have challengers. It is that these challengers, this is what Paul is saying, it's that these challengers that we have are not going to win. And they can't. Because you can see it right in the text just as, as easily as I can. You see it there? God is for us. God is for us. God is for you. And God is for me. And what confidence that builds us, builds into us as we, as we walk onto the battlefield every day. God is with me every step of every day. And so, as we step onto that battlefield, see this next in the nose, here's, here's some encouragement for us all benefits of the gospel. Now, we're stepping into battle. All benefits of the gospel come from Christ. Even as we're fighting the challengers, God is pouring awesome things into our lives. And He says this, look at verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If it, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God did this, surely he can do that. What he did here was so much bigger, immeasurably bigger. What he's going to do over here, this is easy by comparison. The sacrifice of His Son was of immeasurable significance and difficulty. So whatever He does for you and me, that's just a small thing. It's, it's His nothing to Him. Again, we see Him refer in this verse to all things. All the things He's been talking about in the letter, all the facets of the gospel, but then he adds to it because he, he wants us to be thinking about all of that and to bring all of that to mind again. 
But then he's going to, and here's some highlights. Here's some things I just want you to remember about this. Here's some key parts that I don't want you to ever forget about what God has done and is doing for us. So we could call these the benefits of the gospel. They're going to be up there on your screen. The benefits of the gospel that God gives when we are in Christ. First of all, His strong defense of you. Verse 33, who shall bring, Paul with the questions again, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? No one can charge you with anything. If you're, if you're elected by God, if you're predestined by Him, chosen by Him, called by Him, saved by Him, okay, no one can bring any charge against you. The gospel means that your guilt and your shame have been taken away. The gospel means, received in your life, that means that you no longer stand under the fear of the judgment of God. No guilt, no shame, no fear. It's erased. No one can accuse you any longer. Further, it is God who justifies. Though we may still struggle with sin, and we do, there's a whole facet of the gospel from Romans 7 that talks about that struggle with the gospel. None of us is going to be perfect on this side of eternity. And though we continue to struggle with sin, the remarkable part is that God sees us. The word is justified. God's justified as God sees us as being perfect and righteous. It seems absolutely impossible to us on this side of it, looking at it from our perspective in a world that's still very tainted by sin, our own flesh still warring against us, the devil's still very much at work. It's so hard for us to understand that God looks at us as perfect, but not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's declared us to be righteous. He asks again, who is to condemn? No one, no one can say you're not forgiven. You should definitely not be saying to yourself, I am not forgiven or I can't forgive myself. You have Jesus in your corner. You have Jesus standing with you as your advocate, speaking on your behalf to the God of glory. The benefits of the gospel are, first of all, His strong defense of you. Secondly, His saving provision for you. And we have a reminder here from Paul of how this all came about, the core of the gospel that we must preach. The core of the gospel message is verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised. There is no gospel, there is no good news apart from preaching the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everyone must meet Jesus Christ at the cross. Everyone must believe in His glorious resurrection from the dead and meet Him at the empty tomb. Everyone who would be saved must go to the cross and the tomb. There is no other way. Jesus Himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the only way any of us are coming to Him, and this is the the glorious blessing, the benefit that God the Father has given to us in Jesus Christ, His saving provision for you. Here's another benefit, His urgent pleading for you. 
Verse 34 continues, speaking of Jesus who is at the right hand of God. And here's the benefit that flows now from Jesus being at the right hand of God, who indeed, it says, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, we were told uh, back in chapter 8, we saw this, verse 36, that the Holy Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. So, Jesus is interceding for us here. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us uh, a few verses uh, prior. We understand, of course, that God is three in one. We don't fully understand the dynamic and how the Trinity works, but here we have uh, Spirit and Son both interceding for us in different ways. Both have the ministry of intercession before the Father on our behalf, Jesus advocating for us before the Father, the Holy Spirit lifting our prayers before the Lord. We have this awesome benefit his urgent pleading for you. We have one speaking for us. And then fourth, His loving protection of you. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Are any of these things I mean, these seem pretty extreme. Are any of these things actually going to be successful in separating you from God? Can any trial you go through, can any difficulty you've ever faced, can any hardship, hardship that might even plague you for an entire lifetime, can any of those things ever drive you away from Christ, away from His love? The answer is no. We can't look at our circumstances and, and ever think, God forgot me, or God hates me, or God's punishing me. You think about this list that we've read here in verse 35, and, it, and it's an intense list. It's an intense list because it was an intense time when Paul's writing to these believers in Rome. They lived on, under a truly totalitarian regime that was not at all friendly toward the gospel and toward the church. It was an intense time of real persecution, not, not any kind of self-inflicted persecution that some are claiming today. None of these external circumstances that they were facing in the first century when the church was truly under pressure, none of these things could ever separate them from the love of God, and anything we could go through today could not possibly separate us from the love of God. None of these things should undermine what we know to be true about our God, the things that we should know and remember and rehearse constantly, preeminently that He loves us, Nothing, he says, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. He supports his argument here with a quote, and as you're looking at your Scriptures, you can see how it's indented there, and there's probably a footnote that tells you where to find this. It comes from Psalm 44, verse 22. For your sake, God, for your sake, for your glory, for your purposes in our life. God, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. It, that is to say, life is hard because we're believers. 
Believers have always faced hardship from normal trials, the normal trials of life to to intense persecution and even martyrdom. In fact, he goes on to say, again, quoting from Psalm 44, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, just, you know what, just line us up, slit our throats, bleed us out, and chop us up for meat. We're no more valuable than that. In fact, we're vulnerable, we're helpless. Like sheep, we have no defenses. We have no way to save ourselves. And again, this is what believers in Rome were facing simply because they believed in Jesus Christ and they preached the gospel. Simply because they were Christians, which, which at the time was considered a small, fringed, fringe sect. For the Romans, as one commentator said, a cheap and common victim. And again, this is not what we're facing today, but it should encourage us. That if believers can live under that kind of intense scrutiny and pressure, then surely we can live under what we're facing today. We shouldn't at all cheapen what what the truly persecuted Christian has gone through. By claiming anything like that today, we shouldn't cheapen what real martyrs have faced by claiming anything like that today. In fact, I would say that through our difficulties of the last year, which, by the way, are not unique to the church, the entire world has been going through the current hardships and trials. But is it not true that this circumstance that we've been facing for 52 weeks has actually served to advance the gospel, to allow more people to hear this than ever before. On a normal Sunday, 53 weeks ago, we didn't have people tuning in from British Columbia and Saskatchewan and, and, and Nova Scotia and California and Mexico. In fact, Forget all the people who are tuning in from other places around the world. There were people in our own city who would never have darkened the door who began watching the live streams. For 52 weeks, the gospel has been preached here. No government has hindered the preaching of the gospel, not even in the slightest. This pandemic has afforded us more opportunities. We have endured through this trial And we have seen every step of the way God's unfailing love for us and for those who don't know Christ. God's unfailing love protected the first century believers in Rome, and God's unfailing love is protecting us, not from the difficulties, but through them. He keeps our hearts safe. And even if the hardship leads to death, He loves us so much so as to conduct us into His very presence. And that is the prize. Well, finally, let's look at this. It's it's undeniable. The gospel is Christ Himself, and all certainties of the gospel are found in Him. We, We live in a time of uncertainties. Postmoderns ask the question, 
Can the truth be known if it exists at all? Can the truth be known if it exists at all? And postmoderns think they're so, you know, cool and postmodern because they're asking that question. And they may not realize that the question has actually been asked for thousands of years. It's not unique to this time and place. Recall, in fact, the Good Friday narrative when Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, this is in John 18, 37 to 38, Jesus and Pilate are speaking. This is kind of like his trial. And Jesus said that he came to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate's respond to him, Pontius Pilate, this Roman authority trained in classical education, Pilate says to him, what is truth? Pilate's the original postmodern. Can the truth be known if it exists at all, Pilate says, in essence, to Jesus. And yet we dare to preach the gospel. We dare to preach certainties at a time when truth is relative to so many. And we dare to do that because of passages like this one. You can't help but read this last part of Romans 8 and be just fired up by the truth that's being proclaimed to us. A passage like this one given to us by the apostles and inspired by the Holy Spirit of God that speaks so resolutely about God, about His salvation, about His promises, His benefits to us. Now, it's not wrong to question. It's, it's, it's a good thing to ask questions. Our youth and our college-age young adults especially need to hear this, it's not wrong to ask questions. It is wrong to not have God as a possible answer to the question. You see, the problem as I see it with the colleges and universities in our country as our young people go to these places of higher education, the problem in those settings is this, not that they ask questions but they're too afraid to have God as a possible answer to the questions. So afraid that they've completely pushed him off campus, as if that were even possible. So the answer to the rhetorical question that came to us back in verse 35, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes through all of those examples. The, the answer to the question is here, verse 37, no! Nothing is going to separate us from the love of Christ. In all these things, again, back to that, in all these things that we've heard in the gospel, in all of these various facets of the gospel that we have learned, notice we are more, more than conquerors. The more than, it's just one word in the original language in the Greek, it's one word. And a prefix is attached to the Greek word for conquerors, and it's hyper, hyper conquerors. Not only are we able to endure our current circumstances, not only can we rise above the hardships and difficulties that we face here and now, we do so with confidence in our God, but also we're conquering death through Jesus Christ so that we're going to pass through that veil 
and go on into eternity. And so we are, we're not only conquering here, we're conquering there. We're not just conquerors, we're hyper-conquerors. We conquer twice. And we do so, not in our own strength, of course, but the verse continues, through Him who loved us. Through Him who loved us. And then he, then he reaches in verse 38, he, he's coming to this huge climactic end. Verse 38, for I am sure, I am sure. You see the certainty there. The certainty of the gospel is found in Christ, for I am sure. And then all these couplets that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. There's not a single thing in all of the creation. Such incredibly beautiful poetry there. But there isn't, there isn't a single thing that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see it, it's, it's plainly stated throughout. It's undeniable. The gospel is Christ. Now, if you've been observant during this series, you may have noticed that love, as we looked at all these facets of the gospel, that love was not one of the 16 facets of the gospel. It's not because love doesn't figure prominently in the preaching of the gospel or the message of the gospel. Obviously, in this incredible conclusion to Romans 8, Paul is pushing love to the forefront, and we see it here. So why isn't it there? Why isn't love one of the facets? And it's really because of this. The gospel is Christ, and Jesus Christ is Himself love. As the Apostle John would later say, and this is in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Love is not something, in other words, that God gives us apart from Himself. It's not part of the gospel. Love isn't part of the gospel. Love isn't a facet of the gospel, so much as love is the gospel. The gospel is love because Jesus is love. And the two are inseparable. And all the certainties of the gospel, the certainty of His love, is found in Christ alone. And all of that, all these things, represent the power of the gospel in our lives. And this will be my final appeal as this current series comes to an end. A couple of chapters later, Paul will write this in Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's very simple. 
If you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, it comes down to simple confession and belief. The gospel is your salvation. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, not yet a believer, it comes by faith and simply by the confession of your sin and the confession of your need of the Savior. But the gospel is not only your salvation, the gospel also, and I would speak right now to the Christians, but the gospel is also your sanctification. The gospel is to be changing us day by day as we walk with Christ in the power of this gospel. And either way, if you're not yet a believer, believe, confess and believe. And if you are a believer, tap in to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, you are um, so very kind to us. And you have poured yourself out into this world, into our lives in an extraordinary way, a way that no one else ever could. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And on the third day, he was raised to new life. And Father, we know, every person knows the desperate state of their own life apart from Christ. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in all the places where this message is being heard right now. And that if there are those who have not yet given their life to Christ, God, tears would stream from their eyes. Their, their knees would fall to the ground. They would confess their own desperate need of Christ, their own sin, and call out to you for your salvation. And Father, for all of us who already have that profession of faith in you, we, at, at some other time, God, we believed and we confessed. But Father, perhaps we've forgotten. Or perhaps, Father, we've become confused distracted. And I pray, God, that among the believers who have heard this series, there would be heartfelt repentance, a desire to make change, and to fully embrace the gospel as the center of our lives, because the gospel is Christ, and we want Christ at the center of our lives. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together. Again, you've been so good, so kind to us. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.